0: Welcome to Campfire Football, I'm Sebastian North. this is episode 80, FIFA Beach Soccer World Cup and the teams take shape. I didn't really know what a good title was for this one, sometimes it's really hard to come up with a good title, I don't know why, but it feels good to be up to 80, nice little 8-0, love that number, so uh, hey, 20 away from what most people would consider a major milestone. But what a weekend it was at football. I went to Grand Junction, which is way out in western Colorado, four and a half hours from Denver to go coach my 2007 girls. We were down 2-0 at halftime. Went down 3-0 ten minutes later. We had water breaks because it was so hot. Got a water break with 20 minutes to go. We just got it together, went out and won 5-3, so... Yeah, great way to finish that weekend. I did watch the Chelsea-Liverpool match uh, on my laptop in a little empty cafe, little coffee shop. Um, and let's go ahead and start there. Why not? So Chelsea, I have to say, as a Chelsea fan, I'm excited because they looked so solid. The whole game. Um, th- the first half, they looked, frankly, somewhat better than Liverpool. I don't want to say that they were dominating. They, didn't, But they just edged it. And they were able to score Kai Havertz with a looping sort of off the back of his head. Um, headed to the back post, quite an improbable way to score, but hey, you do have to do it. You have to get into the place. You have to adjust your body well enough in your head to, to, to give it a chance. And, uh, that that was pretty impressive to see. And so the first half, I think Liverpool were good, but you just got a sense that this game could trickle to a one nil the way it did back in the spring between these two teams. So. Then all hell breaks loose right before the halftime whistle. Reese James gets red carded. Salah tucks away the penalty kick. So let's talk about this a little bit. I have seen quite a bit of consternation from Blues fans. People very upset that this was you know, a straight red card and that the referee didn't take long enough a look at it and everything and that it was a penalty. Look, if we're going to be completely objective about this, a few things we need to take into account. First of all, We have to look at what the rules are. You have to look at the situation. And then you have to kind of just accept what the referee's decision is as long as it's not something insane and crazy, which I don't think this was at all. So for me, red card, yeah, probably. And the reason why, even though the ball does hit Reese James's thigh, it's not like it hits his thigh and his arm doesn't move at all. It just goes really, really quickly. It didn't. It didn't do that. It hits his thigh and bounces up a little bit. And yes, as he's landing, his body turns a little bit. Is this just a biomechanical thing that was happening based on his balance, based on the the momentum of the way his body was shifting? The reality is when I look at it, and I've seen it now a few times, it looks as if even though it hits his thigh, it's still going in the goal. It's not hitting his thigh and going away, and he's just sort of accidentally batted it out. It does look like it's going in. And perhaps I mean this is one of those things you cannot explain. Only Reese James could tell you if this is true or not, and maybe he doesn't even know. But in those moments, you can imagine a player having some panic, right, and just kind of just tensing and shifting and just pulling their hands in just for a second, because the freeze frame that you saw from the official, but that that they saw in the VAR was literally his hand touching the his arm touching the ball and the ball touching his middrift. Okay, so the ball hits his hand, hits his arm his arm stops the ball from going into the goal by the letter of the law that is denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity which is a red card and a penalty so chelsea fans if you're upset about it i think it's more be upset about how you know set in stone the rule is at that point where the referee cannot look at it and say that's not a deliberate handball so i'm not going to red card him but it is a penalty right and That way, there's maybe that little bit of leniency for the referees. The problem is, if the referee takes that choice, Liverpool fans will be up in arms about it on the other side. So you can't make everyone happy. I think there's a certain point where you just have to accept what it was, right? Um, And like I said, maybe the law does need a little tweak. I think these are interesting examples. But we also have to understand that sometimes tweaking the laws just makes things more confusing. Look at offside and what has happened with that. The handball rule over the last two years has been incredibly confusing for a lot of people. And I think that what Thomas Tuchel said about it was very interesting because I think at first he wanted to just come out and defend Reece James and the fact that this shouldn't have been a red card, shouldn't have been the double punishment. But when he's talking about it in his press conference, You kind of get this feeling of resignation where he's like, Well, I mean, it just is what it is in the end. I mean, we can complain. I think the referee should have, you know, maybe taken a little more time to look at a full picture, but here's the audio and listen to yourself. He basically just accepts the whole thing. Have a listen.
1: Well, I think, yeah, double punishment is always super hard and it's a bit of a spoiler for the game. Uh, But I think it's the rule. Like, I think, no, if the referee says he denies a clear goal with his hand, nobody knows if the penalty is a goal. I mean, you get a big chance, but you don't get the goal actually back. So, I don't like these early red cards. Of course, not at, at Liverpool when we play, but in general, it's it's for me a bit of a spoiler of the game. Nobody, I think, wants, wants to see that for 45 minutes. They want to see a high-level game and and even me when i'm in front of tv i i I don't like it i i have no solution now for it and no no better idea in the moment but in general it it is a spoiler situation itself well i can understand the decision and and i'm not saying it's a it's a wrong decision but i did not when 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 i did not like the way we checked it uh, or the referee checked it because for me he checked only the, the the image and the image showed well, the clear contact, and uh, then it was a clear decision. We, we saw the, on the bench, of course, also on our iPad, the whole movement, and then it, you saw that it was a deflection, it was short distance, it's a deflection, comes off the hip to his arm, the arm is not super unnatural, arm, body, uh, arm position. So I heard already referees explaining that this is then not a punishable uh, action, Maybe if I would have wished for a longer consideration, a longer thought, and a, and a better view on the whole situation. Maybe he would have taken the same. I think it, it stays a great situation and he could have maybe taken the same uh, decision. And, and we have to live with it, I think, this, and I can live with it, that some decisions stay in the, in the responsibility for the referee in the moment. It was today against us, and uh, uh, we we did the very best of it because it was very, very tough. So he says
0: the referee should make the decision, and he did. He feels that VAR should actually show the whole sequence so that the referee gets a really clear picture of what happened. And then he goes on to say, but maybe that wouldn't have mattered anyway because when you look at it, you can kind of see that you can go either way on it. And so if that's the case, and he admits that the decision might have been fine regardless, why are we complaining? Why is anyone complaining? Look, if he says accept it and move on, then can fans, pundits, everyone, can we all do the same? I have seen quite a few pundits say, I don't understand why this is such a debate. Let's move on to another one, a different debate here uh, for a red card. Manchester United against Wolves. This was a very... From from what I saw in the highlights, from what I read, it sounded like a, a relatively poor game, especially from Man United's perspective. They they just weren't really that good. But we're gonna touch on this. Paul Pogba, Ruben Neves. Was there a foul? Was there not a foul? Foul situation that led to Mason Greenwood's goal, which by the way, the goalkeeper has got to save that. Sorry. Okay. But here's here's where where I'll start. Paul Pogba's challenge is high because he goes over the ball. It's kind of reckless because his studs are showing and he's not, you know, he's not just standing still. He he moves all the way through. But then Ruben Neves, he hits the ball and just goes completely under Paul Pogba's foot. So his foot doesn't come up into Paul Pogba's studs, but his shin guard just grazes it. Then Ruben Neves after the ball goes away, Ruben Neves looks over at the referee for a hard second to be like, are you going to call anything? And when the referee is not even putting the whistle in his mouth, not doing anything, just kind of being like, we're going to play on, then Ruben Neves' you know, painful expression goes in his face and he hits the deck. Woo! It's the only problem with uh, using your hands when you're talking. Okay, so... He hits the deck, Ruben Neves, and then, you know, in this moment, it just stinks of trying to buy yourself a call. And what I love is that the referee doesn't just immediately fall for this. In in past seasons, I could have seen this getting pulled back the second the player went down and was like, but I got hurt. So it was nice to see, you know, them wave play on. Now, the big debate is whether or not this should have been deemed a foul. (laughs) I don't really think so. And it's actually really simple. He doesn't touch him. Look, Paul Pogba's challenge is reckless. And here's the crazy thing is if Ruben Neves' foot comes up after he hits that ball and Paul Pogba's studs come down on Ruben Neves' foot, there's a real possibility Paul Pogba gets sent off. But if you come in at somebody and you just totally miss them, it's not a foul just because had you hit them, it would have been a red card. That, that That's not how the game works. That's not how it's officiated. There does actually have to be some level of contact for it to be a foul, right? So that that's where I think there is a little bit of wiggle room on this one. But I will say it's not a foul. It's just a good conversation to have about how close Paul Pogba was to riding the line between no foul, no no worries, and you're off. And I mean, it, it was probably an inch, the difference between the two. So, look, I think that's kind of interesting. Here's my actu- Here's the question that I have about this game. How on earth does Daniel James's rugby tackle on Trincao not result in a penalty? If you have not seen this, it, it's shocking that this was not highlighted as probably the main event of the game. I don't know why uh, so much attention was put on... The Paul Pogba non-foul that led to the goal, and and not this insane tackle by, by by Daniel James. He literally just goes into the corner and cleans him out. Gets just gets none of the ball, and it's right at the baseline and the six-yard box. Uh, I, I, I I don't know how this didn't get looked at by VAR. I have no idea how Wolves players complaining about it didn't just catch the attention of someone either in the booth or the referee. I don't understand it. Um, it's, it's actually almost, it's it's almost, it's baffling to the point where when you watch this on replay, each time you see it, you start to like go, oh man, you start to like laugh. Because it's so blatantly obvious. How did this get missed? And how was it not a major talking point? I don't really know. But uh, yeah, pretty crazy. So Man U, they weren't great. But guess what? The great Cristiano Ronaldo has returned. Uh, as if Messi's transfer saga wasn't already twisted and weird and all over the place enough, CR7 had to go ahead and provide us a little final week of the transfer uh, window drama. So apparently he was on the brink of going to Man City. I guess that they were in talks, uh, you know, communication between Pep and CR7 and whatever the board at at City, they were looking to do it. And then the Man United PR machine, which is fans, current players, ex-players, pundits, everyone coming out and just being like, do not do this. And then Man United swoop in and grab him. Hey. So, Man U fans, I know you're very excited. I I would be, too, in your shoes. Uh, there's no doubt that bringing in a player of Ronaldo's caliber, and not even Ronaldo's caliber, what is Ronaldo's caliber? It's, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. There's no one else like him in terms of the style of professional he is, the type of player he is, the output he puts out. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm putting him and Messi in different categories here because what he will bring to this team is a unique thing that Ronaldo just has. And I think it's going to be very beneficial for certain players. Here's the question. Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer good enough a manager to get the maximum tune out of this squad? Because make no mistake about it, they invested heavily this summer. Anyone who talked about Frank Lampard, okay, you guys have spent $200 on players, this time you have to deliver. There's no excuses of the loan, of you know the transfer ban or using the young kids. There's no excuses for that anymore. You have to deliver this season. That's the pressure Lampard was under. Uh, starting to feel that Ole is going to be in that kind of situation within the first two months if results don't start looking good and performances don't start looking good. Do I think he needs to win a trophy this year? No. I think that when he last year said that trophies are more for people with egos – Yes, I think he was protecting to a certain degree the fact that they probably wouldn't win one that season. But what he was also saying is, if we just use that as the only bar, then a team that is going in the right direction, that has everything set up well to continue to improve and possibly challenge in the next year, you're going to tear it up because there's not an extra piece of silverware in the cabinet. And that doesn't make sense. Now, conversely they've given Ole a lot of time i think he's done a very good job of creating a good atmosphere in that team and and if you see the way they did last season genuine improvement to the to the past so now what's the benchmark well i would say it's you have to be impressive in these competitions right you you have to do well in the champions league you cannot bow out at the group stage you have to go far in the league in the premier in the race for the premier league title you know okay let's say we move the fa cup and the Carabao Cup to the side, if the two main objectives are Champions League and Premier League, you need to go quarterfinal or semifinal final Champions League. You need to go all the way till, you know, early April to be involved in the Premier League race. These would be impressive enough situations. And I'm sure if, if you're doing that, then a lot of players are shining. Everything's going well. That would be enough. Now... I, I, I'm not so sure. This is what's going to be very interesting. is Can Solskjaer really get the best tune out of this group of players? Speaking of someone who's got to get a good tune out of a good group of players, Jose Mourinho at Roma. Wow. They looked great this weekend. 4-0 four, um, four win, very impressively, over Salernit- Salernitana. And all the goals coming in the second half. The first half, they weren't great. But Lorenzo Pellegrini scores two absolute beauties. Veritou and Abraham also had some very class goals. This Mourinho side does look very good. Uh, Veritou is a player really worth watching. Jordan Veritou, he's French, but he's been playing at Roma now for a good bit. And and he he was involved in most of the goals, everything good about what was going on. Tammy Abraham, he slotted in so well. He's already got great link-up play going on with Pellegrini, Veritou, and uh, and I mean, everyone that, that that played in that second half and attacked—they just looked like a well-oiled machine. It was really fun to watch. So that that's exciting. I think that any any Chelsea fan like myself, we're going to keep a cl- slightly closer eye on Roma this season, just because you want to see how a player like that's doing, especially since there is a buyback clause. So if he goes and scores forty-five goals. This season in uh, in Italy. Uh, we could see him back in a Blues shirt before too, too long. And not have to do this whole thing where you buy Lukaku for $100 million after selling him and loaning him a bunch of times before. Okay, moving on from uh, Roma. Uh, another impressive win in Serie A this season. AC Milan uh, winning 4-1 to over Cagliari. And all the goals in this game coming in the first half. So kind of funny, but... Man, Ole Giroud scores a brace. As uh, The whole the whole programming, everything, all the hype around AC Milan is Zlatan will soon return, and he will be... God, Ole Giroud was great. His link-up play, his hold-up play, and his finishing, terrific. And he's the type of guy who I think will really, really help this team. And it'll make it so that Zlatan, you know, whether he likes it or not, he just won't need to be in the side on a weekly basis. On top of that... Sandro Tonali had an absolute gorgeous free kick, and yeah, I mean, it's great to see the the, the, uh, the Milan sides and Roma and Lazio, who won 6-1, all getting off to a great start, very exciting for the uh, Serie A. Now, Liga, I just got a quick shout out to my boys Lille for uh, winning their match against uh, Montpellier 2-1, very important victory. First one of the season for them in the league, so very important to just get going, get off the mark. But Ligue what, well, really? I'm not, I'm not going to talk about Lille when uh, Lionel Messi finally makes his PSG debut. And, well, this is going to be a crazy season in Ligue 1. And uh, it, Re- Reims players, at the end of the game, were just totally starstruck, um, bringing their family, their babies, like doing selfies With Messi holding the kid, I mean, having him say cheese to all the players, I mean, this was, look, I don't have a real, a problem with sort of honoring someone like Leo Messi and taking your opportunity to be like, wow, I'm, I'm playing a game and he's here. This is amazing. It is amazing. But you're also a professional. And... I, whether it's that the fans will be upset because they think you should just storm to the locker room mad that you lost. I, I, I'm not, I, look, a lot of the older guys keep saying this stuff. Well, you lose a game, you should walk to the tunnel, be upset and show that you're upset. It's also Lionel Messi who all the fans were so excited to see as well. Anyway, my issue with it is how awkward must that be for Lionel Messi, right? Bro, you've gone and gone to the stands to grab your baby and you are taking the picture of Leo Messi holding your kid. You're not even in the photo. It's just a little cringe to me. That's all. It's a little bit too much fawning um, because, like, I don't, like, think about it. Does Messi really want that on a weekly basis this season? Ligue is going to have to take a look at that to make sure that, I think they're going to have to crack down on that to make sure that not every game feels like some kind of weird exhibition where at the end it's as if there wasn't actually a game, Right. Uh, I don't want to see any players in during the game like doing the some bow to Lionel Messi or things like that. I I want to see professional football, and you know, if you want to revere the guy, great. Um, but yeah, that that was really important. So Atletico de Madrid versus Villarreal, a pretty decent game, but the ending. Oh my goodness! I have to just mention this because this ball comes up. Uh, at the very end, I mean, there's 30 seconds to go. Long ball. It's not going anywhere. Mandi, is from about 25 yards out. Just heads it back into the box, thinking his goalie's there. But Geronimo Rulli, yeah, goes running out to the left side of the box to go collect where this ball might be going and can't get back in time to stop the header. And it rolls in. An amazing image from this. I, I, I had to put it up as the... Uh, official photo for this episode, but it reminded me of Spurs versus of Ajax versus Spurs in the Amsterdam arena, right after Lucas Moore scored the final goal, the winner. And you just saw Ajax's players just all on the floor. It was the same thing here. Just a about all four of these guys just laying down on their, on their stomachs on the floor, just in total despair. Unai Emery, I, disbelief on the sideline, the whole staff, there's guys on the ground over there. It was, it was something else. Um, so, Look, I'm going to close last few minutes here with something that I really enjoyed. Some things come and go too fast in football, and one that was recently was an event that I've never really paid much attention to in the past. I think I've watched very fleetingly, but it was the FIFA Beach Soccer World Cup. It was hosted in Moscow at the Luzhniki Arena, so the main stadium that they had that they hosted the, the final of the World Cup a couple years ago. It's, it's it's a massive, beautiful stadium in the parking lot, sort of outside. They set up, you know, stands and, a, and an actual full-on beach soccer court. Um, and, you know, it was really, really fun to watch. The overall experience is absolutely hilarious in, in some ways, and, it borders cheesy, but it's actually just tons of fun. Uh, and, and you feel it as you're watching it, that it's it's an enjoyable experience for the players. It's an enjoyable experience for any fans that were there. Especially the locals got to watch their team win the whole thing. Russia ended up being champions. Now, what's cool about this is the rules are fascinating, right? The size of the pitch is, is, is not very big. It's probably about um, 40 yards long. Uh, there's three zones. It's split into thirds. In the two final thirds, goalkeepers can go, it can pick up the ball anywhere in there. So, goalkeepers have a whole ton of freedom. They can walk out, they can shoot from pretty much anywhere as well. People do shoot from all over the place. There's volleys and bicycle kicks that are either set up by another player or set up by the player themselves to hit it. The technical ability needed in this, the physicality to be able to play and do all this in sand, it is so much fun. Every single foul on the pitch, is a free shot from where you sit, so no one can build a wall in the way. So either even if it's in your own defensive end, everyone is just setting this up to go ahead and take a shot. And they take the ball, and they move it around in circles to flatten out an area, and, and they go around this little tuft of sand that they build up as like a T, and they set the ball on top of that and smash it. And they do this from all over. If the foul takes place in the final, in your attacking third, then it gets it's a penalty sort of from central. The goalies are studs in this because they've, they're have they taking shots from all over the place, super close range. But everyone's just jumping about. The whole thing's, it, it's an experience. And there's also music bumping the whole time. They just have a DJ just playing music and keeping it hype. So I really, really enjoyed it. Of course, it's also three periods, 12 minutes long, so 36-minute games. And because it, you don't have to worry about the surface, right, and tearing it up, they just did the whole entire competition in one in one stadium. And the games were back to back to back. So to go as a fan, you could just like go and like see four or five games a day. I mean, that's awesome. Super cool. So keep an eye on on this in the future. And if you get a chance to go see some like official beach soccer, I I highly recommend it because it's so much fun. The games were epic. I started watching from the quarterfinal. Senegal, Brazil in the quarterfinal. Japan versus Tahiti. And then Russia versus Switzerland in the semifinal. All went to extra time. Right before an equalizer came very late in the match, the the final of those Russia Switzerland actually went to penalties. So yeah, Switzerland were the most impressive team to me. They demolished Uruguay ten to one, and uh, that game was quite amazing. Scored a lot of insane goals, but they got this guy Dan Stankovic, not the guy who played at Inter Milan, uh, who was top goalscorer of the competition and an absolute beast. Uh, the Swiss, their goalkeeper was also an incredible technical player. I remember at one point against Uruguay, they were had the back two and the goalkeeper, and they were just basically juggling the ball between the three of them, keeping it away from the Uruguayan players, switching it from side to side seven times without letting the ball hit the ground. Just incredible. Um, so much fun to watch. Uh, Raoul Mendy of Senegal, this guy was a monster as well, bullying defenders all over the place, scoring huge goals. I I just really enjoyed this whole tournament um, of what I got to see from quarterfinal, semifinal, and then I, I missed the final, unfortunately. I recorded the third place game and not the final, which was also epic. Switzerland winning 9-7 over Senegal. Just, I, I really, really do think that uh, this is a competition that maybe needs a little more attention, but at the same time, I say this, go watch the highlights of these games. You'll enjoy it. They're fun. But... I noticed a difference in actually sitting and watching a full match and watching the drama unfold. I mean, it's watching basketball highlights, it's the same kind of thing. You just see like goals and and, and you just see buckets and it's just, it's over and over. It doesn't slow down. But when you get to see the back and forth rhythm and sort of all the little mini bits of unfolding drama throughout the game, It's pretty easy to get hooked, and it's non-committal. I mean, it's 36 minutes max. So I I highly recommend go check this out, and uh, over time, just keep an eye on who these players are. I mean, it's got to be cool. These dudes have to be guys who were very close to the professional level, if not at it, and maybe in the lower levels of it, in the large format game, and found beach soccer and have done really, really well. So that's an awesome one. I just wanted to give props to that, because it's something that actually no one has talked about over the last couple weeks, plenty of other things going on as well, of course, but I felt that they deserve some shine and some props because it was great to see. So check that out. So happy Monday, everybody, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, listening to this. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. And I promise the next one won't come with so much time in between. I'm uh, picking it up again. All right. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. This is Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. That'll do it.